Relax. You're quite safe here. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Rock Strikes Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether you're doing it at cnjradio.com or you're subscribed and leaving a star rating and review on iTunes and never missing one single episode. Thank you especially everybody who does that. Alright, it is now time for the first of five parts at our big huge look back for the year of 1997. It's going to be a big one. We're going to do this all week. You're going to get a whole week's worth of shows leading up to the end of the year and our best albums of 2017 show that we do at the beginning of the year. All right, so the first of five parts here, I'm going to explain the format. We're going to do the top 30 albums of the year 1997, and then between each part of those, we're going to do special odds and ends episodes for the year 1997. If you're not familiar with the odds and ends, then I'll explain to you at the beginning of part two what that's about. But we're going to go ahead and start off our countdown, the Rock Strikes 10 official Best Albums of the Year, 1997. Why am I doing this? Well, of course, it has been 20 years since that year. Also, it was the year I graduated high school, so kind of a big deal for me especially. So I'll try to insert some of my uh, personal journeys here throughout the show and, and what some of these albums mean to me or what it makes me think of at the time. I'll try to do that with every album if it has that kind of special attachment to me. Some of these albums I discovered after the year 1997, but for the majority of the countdown, these are albums that I did purchase in the exact same year that they came out. So this should be fairly easy for me to do, even though we're doing a ton of parts for them. But I'm going to have fun with this. I hope you join me on this, and I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And like I do with all the other year-end lists and new album reviews that we do here on Rock Strikes 10... Doing the Bard with Permission Rock and Roll Geek scoring system and tweaking it a bit into the Rocket Rank scoring system. Over here on Rock Strikes 10, each album gets a potential 100 points for its final score. If you're wondering how I get to that, feel free to PM me and I'll bore you with the details on it. Otherwise, I'm just going to tell you over here, uh, each amount of points each album got now, sometimes that might be a little inconsistent as to how they ranked on my personal albums list. Why is that? Well, I, I use the scoring system as a guide when I make lists, so I don't usually use the exact math and science for it. I just use it as a guide. It really works very well, especially when you're making monster lists such as this. So it helped me out a ton, and I was able to get what I truly believe are my top 30 albums of the year 1997. So these albums here, basically where they ranked in the point system uh, on the average of these records until further notice, pretty much get about three quarters great for me. And we're going to kick off number 30 of our top 30 of the year 1997 with the album Nine Lives by Aerosmith, which for some of you out there, that still may be considered too high on a year-end list, but... I'm going to play a little devil's advocate, defend the album just a little bit here. I know most guys with uh, rock credibility will pretty much say they fell off Aerosmith after Pump. I I stayed on a little bit longer, honestly, as far as studio albums go. 
That being said, after Pump, I mean, yeah, Pump's the last great top-to-bottom album they put out. Granted, I will not argue that fact at all, but I like at least half of the things on Get a Grip, and I like uh, at least half of the stuff on Nine Lives. So we'll defend Nine Lives there just a little bit. I think Get a Grip and Nine Lives are very similar releases in the sense that you know, they concentrate on what radio wants to hear and stuff like that. The ballads got a big spotlight put on them at the expense of some of the better rock tracks on the album. And, you know, I get the fact that Pink is a terrible song, and that really hurt Nine Lives' credibility for a lot of rock guys. So I'm really not going to, like, look at those people in the face and say they're wrong. But I will say that there is a lot of things that are misunderstood about the album Nine Lives. So I think it's viable that I put it in my top 30 list of the year 97. You know, cherry picking off this album could do you a lot of good, cut a lot of fat off of it. It's it's a pretty kick-ass EP if you want to make it that way. I'd recommend going Nine Lives. And yeah, I like the first single, Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees. I think it's a pretty clever Steven Tyler lyric. I really do. I'd skip all the way over to Something's Gotta Give, and then followed by The Farm and Crash. That twofer is awesome. And that's pretty much it. There's your awesome EP for Nine Lives. So go listen to it in that order and tell me what you think. I'm going to give you one of those songs off of my short list here. If, if you didn't make it all the way through the album, you missed out on this one. Tracks 8 and 9 are just this amazing back-to-back heavy rock craziness that Aerosmith, I don't think they've really done this on any of their albums. It's such a yin-yang at the same time. I think it's two of the most underrated tracks that Aerosmith have produced, maybe on any record. I think these are the two best songs they ever did in the 90s, easily. So if you uh, go halfway through to the Nine Live CD, you'll find these two songs, The Farm and Crash. I'm going to play the first one of those two. So kicking off Rock Strikes 10's Top 30 Albums of 1997, representing Nine Lives by Aerosmith, this is The Farm.
There you go. Kicking off our top 30 albums list of the year 1997, this monster special here. That was Aerosmith's tribute to I Am The Walrus by The Beatles. That was The Farm off of Nine Lives. I don't know if it actually was meant as a tribute to, but you got to admit, there's a ton of walrusisms in that one for sure. Just looking up the stats on this, some interesting stats. The album was released a year after my birthday that year, March 18th, 1997. Peaked at number one on the album charts in the U.S. and in Finland. The only two countries that it went number one in did very well in all the other places. The country it did the worst in was in the Netherlands, peaking at number 17. All right, Netherlands. Hey, hi, Tino fella. How you doing there? I saw Aerosmith on that tour for Nine Lives, and I saw him twice on Get a Grip. And whatever you might think about the Get a Grip album, if you didn't go to the tour, you definitely were missing out. They were on fire on the Get a Grip tour. And you know, I saw them twice uh, early in the tour and then later in the tour. They hadn't missed a step. They were just awesome on that tour. But by contrast, I did see them on the Nine Lives tour with Chris. And it was all right. It just, they definitely had lost a step physically. And I. It, I don't want to say they were mailing it in, but it definitely wasn't a memorable performance like the Get a Grip shows were. So, you know, even then, I think, you know, maybe some of the inner turmoil that had uh, plagued the band during production of Nine Lives may have played a part as to why the tour was so uh, unmemorable. Uh, but who knows? That's just my uh, personal story about it. Saw that tour. Don't remember a whole lot about it. <laughs> I do remember them playing Something's Gotta Give from that album, which is one of my favorite album tracks on Nine Lives. But. Other than that, meh, it was okay, I guess. I, it, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great either. All right. Moving on here, number 29 of our top 30 list with the band Red Cross. And 
I, that's one of those bands they have a lot of famous fans and this was not an album that i i bought when it came out in 1997 i think i probably bought it just a couple of years ago at that and uh, red cross cool band definitely one of those acts that they've been doing this forever they started doing this when they were teenagers or actually preteens, the mcdonald brothers but you know I've, I've always seen their names out and about on even things that i'm into i remember the mcdonald brothers actually produced some of the better donna's records back in the late 90s and early 2000s and even currently stephen mcdonald the bass player of red cross currently plays bass for the melvins in addition to doing shows with red cross so always keep him busy and i have massive respect for red cross and i think they were alternative even before the word alternative existed so much respect to them i'm always going to give them some attention whenever they put something out and this album they put out in 1997 show world pretty good record some good power pop elements as well as the uh, you know the kind of off the beat alternative you would expect but i like the fact that they're definitely based in pop music more so than just like heavy grunge so usually get my attention more doing that for sure but this is my favorite song off of their album show world from 1997 for the number 29 record of 1997 and the song to represent it we're going to play mess around
first time I listened to that record a couple of years ago, top to bottom, uh, it really struck me that, man, Jeff McDonald's vocals, uh, I'd say he definitely does have some famous fans. I think Scott Weiland might have borrowed pretty heavily from Jeff McDonald's vocal style. That's just a theory, but I, I kind of got that vibe all over this record in particular for sure, especially the second half of Scott Weiland's career there, so... Yeah, that, that's what I think. But there you go. Cool record there. Show World by Red Cross. Hope you enjoyed that. The song Mess Around. Moving on to number 28, a band that I saw a couple of times on this actual particular tour, albeit uh, through festival dates. We're going to talk about the Deftones here. Their album Around the Fur from 1997 put it out on Maverick, which was Madonna's label. I don't even know if she actually still has that label kicking around, but... That was a big deal that the Deftones had been scouted by Maverick Records and signed there for their major label. And this was their second full-length album. Definitely their breakout for sure. They, they definitely had some buzz on that first one, Adrenaline, but they really stepped it up on Around the Fur. This is a, a pretty damn good record. I like three quarters of it pretty well. And like I said, I saw them live twice on this tour. Saw them on Warp Tour 98, which was still pretty early into the tour. And then I saw them like almost like a year and a half later at the tail end of OzFest 99. Man, I mean, they definitely probably toured that album at least two years. And you could tell by the end of it that they were just done. And Chino's not one of those guys that's known for being a great live singer. But if you go see the Deftones live, I definitely recommend catching them earlier in the tour. Because he had nothing on that OzFest show. The, the Warp Tour show was pretty enjoyable, so I enjoyed seeing them there. They did a lot better there. And, uh, you know, Deftones is one of those bands where I'm kind of uh, maybe a little more than half, but probably every other album on the average hits me pretty well. So they have some hits and some misses for me, but Round the Fur is, is decently strong. Like I said, three quarters good in my opinion. Good enough for number 28 here on our top albums of 1997 list. And the song to represent this album I'm going to pick, which was one of the singles, not the first one. I mean, everybody's heard My Own Summer, so I don't need to play that. But I, I do really enjoy the second single on this one quite a bit more. So from Around the Fur, this is the Deftones with Be Quiet and Drive.
Alright, that was Be Quiet and Drive, and in parentheses, Far Away, by Deftones from their album Around the Fur from the year 1997, of course, because it came in at number 28, our best albums of 1997 list. That song actually did better on the charts from a technical standpoint. Billboard has it peaking at number 29 as a single, and My Own Summer, which I think actually is the more popular song overall, at least as far as uh, retrospect goes, uh, didn't have a chart position at all. So there you go. I'm just looking up fun facts in between the songs, something I could talk about. But that album peaked at number 29 in the States, and it did even better in Germany, their highest chart position in the world, peaking at number 24. So the Germans love their Deftones. All right. Moving on here, album number 27 of our Top 30 Albums Countdown. And uh, a band that came out of the ashes of a couple of other bands. Even though I don't think these bands like broke up so much per se, but I think it's just a couple of friends getting together, making new music. And I remember seeing ads for this band all through Metal Edge and hearing buzz about them like for years prior to the release of this album. So I was always really interested because I'm especially a fan of the singer of this band. Uh, this is a band called the Newly Deads, which was uh, Tammy Down on lead vocals and Kyle Kyle from Bang Tango uh, joining him as well. And this was touted as uh, you know a big departure from Faster Pussycat sound that you know the Sunset Strip sleaze glam scene. And like I said, right after Pussycat kind of went on hiatus or broke up, if you will, after Whipped came and gone and didn't do well in the charts, they got dropped by their label. So I remember hearing that Tammy was working on stuff that was kind of similar to you know industrial metal like Ministry and Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. And uh, for years, I heard about this band. Like I said, I read about them in Metal Edge. And when the album finally came out in 1997, I think uh, maybe if this album had come out two years before that, it might have done a little better, might have gotten some extra attention, but I guess it was not to be. And by this time, Marilyn Manson was in full swing, and it kind of just looked like, you know, Tammy ripping off Marilyn Manson as opposed to him putting out this album prior to Marilyn Manson's big success. So, c'est la vie. But I still think the Newly Dead self-titled debut is a pretty cool listen. It's at least three quarters good. And, you know, I listened to it again recently, you know, for this special. And, you know, some of it production-wise, it hasn't aged great. But there's some really killer stuff on there. So I recommend to listen, especially if you're a fan of Tamey's and maybe his heavier side. You know, if you just like industrial metal, you could definitely do a lot worse in this record. So go check out the Newly Dead self-titled. The song I'm going to use to represent this album, which I believe I've played on the show before, but it's been years if I have. So here you go, the first track off of the Newly Dead's album. This is Submission.
right, there you go. That was Submission by the Newly Deads, the opening track off of the Newly Deads self-titled record from the year 1997, coming in at number 27 on our albums list for our top 30 of 1997. Coming in at number 26, a band that uh, most people know pretty well. They were really big in the 90s, and uh, I'd say this one uh, starts off uh, a series of albums throughout this countdown you're going to hear. I will refer to them as PlayStation Classics because uh, PlayStation 1 coming out around that time, and I remember just hanging out over at Chris's, my cnjradio.com partner there, hang out at his house for hours at a time, every day pretty much, and there would be like this handful of records that would just be on all the time. We usually play like racing games or something like that and put on CDs instead of listening to the uh, score of the video game. So here you go. Here's one. Ixnay on the Ombre by The Offspring. Chris, uh, definitely a, a bigger Offspring fan than I was, although I still like the band pretty well. And uh, I know he likes this record. I think he would tell you that his favorite was probably still Ignition. But uh, this one's pretty comparable. It's got some real catchy songs on it as well. You know, the pop punk thing. Uh, some people don't dig it, but I, I, it's still these records are still fun for me to listen to. And when I listened to it recently, I had a good time. So nothing wrong with letting go a little bit, turning it up, have some fun with the offspring. This one, I think, got a little bit of radio play, but it wasn't one of those that was like a big single. And the singles on here, I mean, these songs were everywhere when they came out. I mean, All I Want, Gone Away, I Choose, those songs were like ruling radio at the time, so I'm not going to play any of those. Although those songs actually have aged pretty well, I think. But this one's a lot of fun. This was more of the uh, punk rock jam of the record. So here you go. For Ixnay on the Ombre, which comes in at number 26 on Rock Strikes 10's Top 30 Records of 1997, this is Way Down the Line.
right, Way Down the Line by The Offspring from the album Ixnay on the Ombre, which years later I get the joke now. You know, I obviously get the pig Latin of it all, but I didn't really put two and two together at the time saying that this album really is supposed to be called Fuck the Man. So there you go. Offspring, Way Down the Line. Hope you enjoyed that. I had fun with it. Offspring number 26 there. Coming in at number 25 is a band that I saw live in the year 1997, or maybe at the beginning of 98, I'm not sure. And this is one of those bands I definitely discovered seeing them live, because I had never heard of them really that much prior to hearing them perform. So they, they won me over with their performance. They were the opening band on the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones Boston on the Road Tour, where they brought out all of their buddies from Boston and, and toured with them. It was them and three other bands. So the first band out that night was a band called the Amazing Royal Crowns, they all look like auto mechanics playing psychobilly and they just threw down that night uh, won me over and i went out and bought the record immediately and this record is still sounding pretty good to me 20 years later because it's coming in here at number 25 of our top albums list of 97 you know it's it's straight ahead rockabilly slash psychobilly you know what you're going to get when you hear those kind of phrases and this song will leave you with no doubt as to what their bid is so here you go representing the self-titled amazing world crowns album this is Shiverin' in the Corner. number 25 on rock strikes 10's top 30 albums of 1997 that was the amazing royal crowns with shivering in the corner off of their self-titled debut from that year and 
they actually had to become the Amazing Crowns by the next album because they got sued by this ska band called the Royal Crown Review. Definitely not even close to being as good of a band as the Amazing Royal Crowns, so I still call them the Amazing Royal Crowns on principle once again. All right, on to number 24 of our top 30 albums list. Another PlayStation classic. This one got played a lot during the PlayStation days, and uh, the album still sounds good to me. I had forgotten the fact that Angelo Moore of Fishbone actually gets it on a couple of tracks on this album as well, so bonus points for it there. I think it helped it a little bit in the ranking, even just for that. But super fun record, super fun band, especially the first three albums by this band. I highly recommend. Talking about Goldfinger from Southern California. And yeah, you know, Hang Ups, I'd say it's my least favorite of the three. It's not a big dip, though, but I definitely would say album one, album three, and then album two. So if this was any of the other albums of theirs, I think they would have ranked higher on any year-end album list, but not bad. Number 24, I think uh, I think that's definitely passable and enough for a decent recommendation here. It also scored 82 points out of 100. I think that's pretty right on as far as uh, my overall enjoyment of this album. And here's a fun track from it here. This is one of the heavier songs off of it. This is Question. Got some question about your life don't know how you'll ever make it through It hurts so bad, but it's all you got You're asking me for help But all I gotta say now is that
All right, there you go. That was Question by Goldfinger off of Hangups. And, uh, you know, I know myself and Chris saw them so many times live, at least three, I want to say. And when we saw them on that tour, they were headlining at Deep Ellum Live, which is a club that actually had closed down uh, over the last few years, but I think they're actually going to bring it back now, which I'm excited about. But going back to that gig, John Feldman of Goldfinger, the lead vocalist slash guitar player of Goldfinger, the leader of Goldfinger, damn near killed us that night because they were playing... I think the last track off of the first album, and he just threw his guitar down and decided to stage dive. Now, the, there was a pretty decent-sized crowd there that night. It wasn't packed by any means, but there was enough people there, especially in the front. But as soon as Feldman decided to stage dive, the the seas parted, and it was just me and Chris trying, attempting to catch John Feldman without killing him or killing us in the process. It was half successful. It was super awkward. And uh, the bouncer that happened to grab Feldman, probably by one of his collars or pants, legs, or something like that, kind of lobbed him right back onto the stage without, you know, further incident. Definitely avoided disaster that night. I just remember that more than anything. But John Feldman damn near killing myself and Chris and almost breaking his neck and ending his career in the process. That guy's done really well for himself over the years, even though he's not, you know, known as being the front man of Goldfinger anymore. That guy has made an amazing career for himself as a song doctor and producer. He's written songs for pop people, pop punk people, even hard rock bands. He's got some co-writes, I think, coming up on the new Struts record, so that should be interesting. So the guy has really hustled and made a career for himself, so hats off to you, John Feldman. And I still love those first three Goldfinger records. All right, speaking of guys that I love, (laughs) here's another guy that I love. The self-proclaimed aging alternative icon, Henry Rollins. His effort with the Rollins Band in 1997 was called Coming and Burn, and it was one of the DreamWorks albums that they had put out. I think they put out like three albums for DreamWorks before that deal fell apart, but I enjoy all those records. I think they were really trying to put out solid albums on a major, which, you know, you know, punk rock people will never tell you they're making that effort, but I think these albums are, are really worth listening to for sure, and I think Coming and Burn actually has aged better. Uh, even than when it first came out in 1997. So it did very well on this list, coming in at number 23. And to represent that album is uh, this song. And I think uh, it's so on the nose about what the title is. I mean, it would give way to being uh, somebody's like uh, MMA fighting entrance or boxing or wrestling entrance here. So this is Rollins' band with On My Way to the Cage. Turn it up.
right, there you go. On my way to the cage by Rollins Band from Come In and Burn from the year 1997. And coming in at number 23 on our top 30 albums list for 1997. Hope you enjoyed that. That was the second mock of the Rollins Band. And the last release to feature that particular lineup, Rollins would dissolve that band and start a new lineup with the Mother Superior Band right around 99 for the Get Some Go Again record, which is also a really fine record. So I, I like uh, Rollins' music a lot. I, I, you know, just judging by my attendance, I think I definitely like him more as a personality and a talking guy than I do his music overall. Big Black Flag uh, supporter as well. But, you know, I've only seen Rollins' band live once as a band, but I've seen him talk probably at least six to eight times at least. So uh, I enjoy Henry Rollins a lot. I'm a big fan. So go check out that record. Let me know what you think. Moving on, number 22, our second-to-last song of the night here, coming from the Accident of Birth record by Bruce Dickinson. Yes, and Bruce was super prolific in the 90s. You know, he, he was in Maiden for the beginning of the decade, and they, you know, they had just come off a tour for No Prayer for the Dying. He had put out his first solo album, and they did that run, and then Fear of the Dark came out in, like, 91 or 92, and they toured that all over the world, just like Maiden do. And that tour was so huge uh, in most places. I don't think it did as well in the States as it did overseas, but that's kind of the story of Maiden a lot and a lot of great British metal bands. Sometimes the States will just take you for granted, which sucks. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what really led to, you know, Dickinson leaving the band or being fired or whoever, whoever you believe there. I, maybe it was just being stagnant or something, but... I gotta tell you, I think Bruce's creative juices were just on fire in the 90s. He put out, like, what? Like, at least four solo albums post-made in the 90s. Yeah, it was, uh, let's see, the Tattooed Millionaire in 90. is Balls to Picasso, like, 94, 93, 94, something like that. Then Skunk Works was 96. And I remember Accident of Birth came out, like, you know, just a year after that. So 97 for that. Chemical Wedding, 98. And, uh, yeah, so he put out five studio solo albums in the 90s. Plus two live albums. I mean, the guy was just ridiculous. And, you know, I think uh, <laughs> I made the joke that one of the reasons he got back with Maiden at the end of the 90s was that he needed a break. So, uh, but yeah, don't sleep on those Bruce Dickinson solo albums. The, most of them are pretty damn solid. And the really neat thing about Accident of Birth is that, uh, you know, there was definitely, I think, a few extra eyes on this release. It was the return of Bruce Dickinson working with Adrian Smith again, because Adrian had left Iron Maiden after the Seventh Son tour, got replaced by Yannick, and, you know, we all know the story now, when they both go back to Maiden in 99, they both go back, Yannick stays. But, you know, Adrian Smith working with Bruce Dickinson again definitely leads to comparison of the classic Maiden sound, and I think he got more of that on Accident of Birth and Chemical Wedding. So, uh, you know, those albums are definitely a lot more well-received, I think, than the other ones. But I don't really have a problem with any of his solo albums. So uh, go check out Bruce Dickinson's solo albums if you haven't yet. So here's one to represent our number 22 record from the year 1997. For the Accident of Birth record, this is The Dark Side of Aquarius. <laughs>
Representing the accident of birth record, Bruce Dickinson, that was the dark side of Aquarius, one of the epics off of that record. And, you know, of course, if you have Bruce's voice on there, it's going to sound Maiden-esque what, regardless. So, uh, but yeah, so if you're a Maiden fan, if you haven't heard those Bruce Dickinson records, go check them out for sure. All right, last song of the night here, the end of part one of our top 30 albums list for the year 1997. And for something completely different... You know, we're in the kind of post-grunge, still alternative kind of era, you know, where they're being supported more by radio and MTV and stuff like that. Uh, Here's a band that never really, like, massively caught on, if you will. You know, they never became like an arena band or anything. I don't know if they actually ever wanted to be that kind of a band, but... Uh, you know, it's kind of like when I was talking about the Deftones earlier, uh, a handful of their records have hit me pretty well over the years. So I like a decent amount of this band's discography. I would have to say if you have to pick one record by this band, this is the one you need to get. The album is called Come Down, and the band is the Dandy Warhols. This was, I think, you know, easily their breakthrough record as far as getting into the public conscience. And weirdly enough, uh, a couple of songs on the album that didn't do well at the time 
so much, but uh, there are songs that have been used in a lot of movies and commercials over the years, because I just remember seeing ads on and off over the years and a few random movie and TV shows where I would hear Boys Better and Every Day Should Be a Holiday off of this record. So it's really cool that I can hear those every now and then in things that I, you know, you don't expect. And that's kind of the cool thing sometimes. So I'm not like anti-music licensing to film and television, especially if it's done right. You know, not like if you're like, you know, promoting, you know, like a wart remover or something like that or pads or whatever. But, you know, as long as it's done tastefully. But um, that's just me. You know, it's very, I'm very pick and choosy about commercialism in my music. But uh, uh, let me get off this rant here and uh, get back to the Dandy Warhols album called Come Down from 1997. This is a very good record. And I think we're starting to get a little bit higher echelon between Bruce Dickinson and this one. A lot, uh, you know, I think better top to bottom albums than anything you've heard so far on the list. So I recommend picking this one up if you haven't before or if, if you haven't listened to it in a long time, shake the dust off of it. And I'm going to actually play it like kind of like the first single released off of it because it's not one of those songs that has really made it through in retrospect. But I really dig it and it's, it's the song that made me take notice of him. And uh, so check it out. This is closing off part one of our albums list for 1997. It's the Danny Warhols with Not If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth.
Closing off part one of our top 30 albums list, Rock Strikes 10 here, for the year 1997. That was the song Not If You Were the Last Junkie on Earth by the Dandy Warhols off of the Dandy Warhols Come Down. I really dig that track. You know, you know, and as a straight edge guy, kind of poking fun at the Kurt Cobain heroin chic culture of the 90s, but also doing it with like a snobby, hip and cool approach. I, I kind of dig that. It's very original to me. And, and yeah, go check out the video also. The video is ridiculous and over the top. It looks like they're playing some weird variety show or something like that. So maybe also making fun of one of the Nirvana videos as well. Who knows? I'm not sure what the approach was there, but go check it out. It's a cool video. All right. I hope you enjoyed the first part here of our top 30 albums list for Rock Strikes 10 official albums list of 1997. It's going to get better as we go promise guaranteed because the you know the albums just get better it's a countdown it, it has to right it has to be so yeah stay tuned all week we're doing this part two coming up tomorrow is going to be the first batch of the odds and ends of 1997 so be songs from soundtracks tribute albums live albums best ofs what have you and then we'll follow up part three with albums 20 through 11 of our top albums list followed by part four which will be the second volume of Odds and Ends from 1997. And then day five, the big one, the top 10 albums of 1997. What a way to close the year off here on Rock Strikes 10. Stay tuned. CNJRadio.com has every episode of Rock Strikes 10, including the ones that aren't on iTunes, and there's some great ones out there to be had for sure. So check that out. Also, while you're there, stick around for the Synaptic Podcast, the Synaptic Empire Podcast, featuring Randy Brown, a true alternative and Last Theater on the Left, hosted by my brother Chris. I co-host most of the episodes. We just put one out at Christmas time, talking about one of the greatest movies of all time, the original Black Christmas from 1974. Go check that out. Last Theater on the Left and relaunching Wrestling House Show podcast as the New Year's Eve ball drops. It'll be happening sometime around there, followed with the real hard launch of multiple podcasts of the Wrestling House Show Stay tuned, cnjradio.com, for all things rock culture. We're going to get out of here. Stay tuned for part two, coming out tomorrow. Last but not least, extra special thanks to Pete and the guys from Spacebeard. I hope you guys had an excellent holiday season. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband. You can get their latest album gone for free. I believe it's still out there for free. But as that, with the download, you actually get a free copy of of the outro song, which is why I love promoting Spacebeard. They do the outro song on every episode. And by the way, just as a tie-in, I got every season of WKRP in Cincinnati on DVD for Christmas. So super excited about that. Can't wait to go down the rabbit hole again. So it makes me think of that when I hear the outro. Of course, every time you know why. Come on, you're cool, right? All right. We'll see you guys on part two. Hope you've enjoyed this, and we'll see you later. Have fun.